Well, you know, that's kind of that, that's the passion that drove me to start speaking. This this desire to have the profession communicate what we do in a way that we get the recognition we're due. I mean, I think I, I feel bad for the really good technical people who aren't recognized because they're so lousy at the communication part. I wanted to help elevate those other folks and also help them see that there's a lot more out there than what they're currently doing if they're sitting in the back office doing something transactional or compliance focused. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants using technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. We have a special guest today. Her name is Jeannie Whitehouse. There's so much to say about Jeannie. I don't know where to begin. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Jeannie has been named one of the top 100 most influential people in accounting by Accounting Today. Uh, she is one of the most powerful women in accounting and one of the 25 thought leaders in the accounting profession. CPA, CITP, CSPM has all the acronyms and is a public speaker. Jeannie, thank you for joining us today. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, Blake and David. So I know that you're up in wine country. Uh, are you okay? Uh, are the fires nearby? Or? They are. So I'm actually in two different places. Sometimes I'm in wine country in Napa, which is currently okay. We had some fires around us, but not in directly in Napa again. And then I'm on the weekends, I'm up in closer to the Sierra. So I'm in an area, Nevada City area, which is close to some other fires that are going on right now. So pretty much there's fires everywhere in California, but uh, safe at the po- at this point and not too close. Just worried about all of the other folks in California who are in danger. Yep. Um, our thoughts and prayers are with them and we hope you stay safe as well, Jeannie. Um, but let's talk about something a little more fun. At least it's fun Fun for me, anyway, as an accountant. And um, I'd like to go back to the last time I heard you speak, which was a few years ago at ExpenseCon. Um, and I attended your session, and I don't remember what it was called, but you you spoke, you gave an example of something that you did in your accounting firm that I thought was really neat. Um, which is, you know, given that you're in wine country, you all specialize in wine production and wineries and that sort of thing. Would you mind sharing with our listeners how you folks differentiate yourself as a specialist in that area? Yeah, love to talk about that. Always fun to talk about wine. It's almost as much fun as it is to drink it. <laughs> so, you know, this I'm with a CPA firm that built this niche, as we call it, where I come from. I'm originally from South Carolina, so that's part of the fun as well to be in wine country and be a redneck from South Carolina. But this firm had a specialty already focused on the wine industry, and they really hadn't gotten the word out very well. They had a secret marketing campaign that they told each other what they did and nobody else knew it. So they brought me on board to sort of help them get the word out. And I discovered they had a lot of great things going on. And the scorecard was actually one of the tools they already had in place. And they found that anybody that wanted to go further, so they would present it as part of your tax planning project, as your tax return service. They would say, you can have this basic service or this high-level VIP service, which includes a scorecard. And the scorecard is going to include benchmarking data of your peers. And this is peers in Napa Valley. So it's our other clients that are also wineries. So it does two things. One, it, it lets them benchmark, but it also says, we work with a bunch of other people just like you. So it gives them some comfort that we even have that many clients that are also wineries. And we find that you know the majority of people really want that scorecard more so than the tax return. And they they're calling us, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? And it's a real attention getter. It's, it's valuable information. And it's presented in a way that's very visual. And so they really respond to that. This is 
particularly business owners who don't want, you know, they don't want to read a black and white financial statement. They don't want to dig through a bunch of detail stuff. They want a, a picture of what's working, what's not, and, you know, what's in the warning zone. And it's been highly successful for us. And it leads to, as we walk them through what each of these different metrics mean, it leads to other consulting opportunities and discussions. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the, it's a really simple thing to do and highly effective. That's awesome. It's such a great example of something simple that you can do that really differentiates you and makes you special, not just marketing talk, right? That's not right. just Not just putting on your website, we work with this industry, but you actually have a takeaway for them that they hunger for every yeah. every month or every quarter, whatever it is. You know, and that's a very unusual thing for us accountants to have people hungering for something <laughs> that we do. <laughs> so it's really fun. You know, it's really a testament to going niche, right? Because if you you can't build a scorecard like that if you're not only focused on a niche. That's right. right. And that's the way I'm supposed to be saying it, David. Niche and not niche, like I say. I, I've compromised. In the singular, I will say niche. And in the plural, I will say niches because oh. <laughs> niches are in the niches. So. I, I think that's cheating. Well, we want to be global sure. now, right? We, we want to have, we want to be global. So I have to be sensitive to our Canadian and uh, that's right. UK friends. Yeah, you need to start saying process, David, if we're going to worry about the Canadians. <laughs> they could never understand me when I was up there speaking. What's that about? <laughs> so the other thing, though, about that blood. The, the, the scary part about doing something like that, you know, you're putting yourself out on a limb by having this scorecard because what you've done now for that client is expose different areas that they might need to work on. And so the danger and the fear for most of us in accounting is if I show them something that's off or that needs improvement, that they come back to me now and say, what do I do about it? And I'm not going to know what to say. So we're afraid to present this sort of insight because we're afraid of our own inability to help them solve or address that problem. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need to have a consulting methodology that you can then fall back on. And that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that we need a toolkit that gave us permission or comfort to have a discussion that's sort of outside of the box from what we normally do as accountants. So let's talk about that, right? Um, and this is something that has always intrigued me as somebody who aspires to get into that eventually higher level consultant type CFO role, business partner role, right? I started as a bookkeeper. I'd love to work my way up to that point at some, at some point. How do I, how do I actually do consulting? What does that mean? Everyone talks about it, right? But what what is it? You know, and it's very, it's a really exciting time for me because I've been talking about it since early 2000. So I left a CPA firm in Atlanta as a partner. I was doing tax and I was really Disenchanted. I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. As soon as I made, par- made partner, I kind of ran away and said, this is not what I want to commit to at this point. And, and I had seen the computer consulting work as the, the part that I really enjoyed. So it was when you're doing computer consulting in a client's office, you are doing real consulting because you're helping them look at their payroll. You're helping them understand how to optimize their you know, payment processes. You're looking at their inventory. You're really in the weeds and the heart of the business in a way you're not when you're sitting back in the CPA firm doing a tax return once a year. So I already knew that that was more engaging to me. But at that time, there was nothing going on in the profession about consulting. There was a lot of there were a few people that were talking about it, but there weren't methodologies or tools or any place really to go. So it was when I got on the speaker circuit that I discovered that methodologies existed, that there were more people like me, that we were all sort of united in trying to get people to do it, but we still didn't really know what to tell them to do if they wanted to get started. So the the nice thing today is that a bunch of people are putting together toolkits around different pieces of software, for example. There's a lot of stuff around Fathom HQ, one of the tools that we use. 
And people from all disciplines are coming together and realizing we have got to do this now. The cloud accounting is enabling that in a way that the old technologies never did. So, But you need a process for whatever we do, especially as accountants. We're very process-driven. And so without it, I think we're afraid to do anything. That's why we stick with the tax returns and the bookkeeping work, because there's a defined process that's been around for hundreds of years around it. We know exactly what we do. That's right. And you can reconcile to something. That's why I love to do yep. business tax returns. There's a schedule M1 that was my favorite schedule because you could tie everything back out. And if that balance, you were like, okay, I'm done. It didn't mean the tax liability was right. <laughs> but in my mind, if it balanced and I had done my work and I could pass it on to the next person. But yeah, we want some evidence or something to um, shore us up when we go out in some direction that we're not normally comfortable. You obviously talked about, hey, I got on the speaker circuit, right? Mm-hmm. But one thing that, that you've talked a lot about is, you know, you um, you just weren't born a speaker, right? <laughs> um, you, you had to work your way up to this and, and learn how to become a public speaker. And you've trained people in public speaking. And people can catch that. You've done that talk so many times. I'm sure it's online. Everybody can catch that. So I don't want to want you to go through that spiel. But I think uh, <laughs> two weeks ago or so, I think you posted something on Facebook where you were doing a webinar and somebody – like a troll kind of hammered you about your Southern drawl or something like that. And you, um, and it affected you, right? So even though you're a public speaker and it affected you, you affected you in that way, could you like talk about that? Like a little bit of the story and like how you handle that, the, the, the hecklers, right? The, the yeah. trolls that are out there when you are on stage or, or in those situations. So I think that's something when you're teaching somebody to go to, to do public speaking, you may not tell them about those negative parts that you have to learn to deal with. Yeah, well, I was born a nerd, David. I mean, that's why my business is called Even a Nerd. I was shy. I was a nerd. I was a math person. I never spoke up. I I mean, it was public speaking was the farthest thing from my mind at that point. And in fact, at my high school graduation, I was like second in my class or something. And they had there were three of us tied for second. And one of us had to speak. And they said, who wants to speak? And two of us stepped back and the other poor person had to do the presentation at, at graduation. So, I mean, I was absolutely terrified and wouldn't have done it for, for anything. And so what I did that, that changed the world for me was I took stand-up comedy training when I realized I wanted to do this in a big way. And that helped me overcome how to deal with hecklers, how to communicate in a way that's structured and organized, how to embrace your own native, whatever you got to work with stuff and all of that. But, um, but that helps to have some level. Again, I had the process to fall back on and it came from the comedy training, but you don't have to go that route. You can get there other ways. But I don't think if you're, if you're a true artist, and I think we're all artists in some area of the work that we do, whether you're publishing a podcast or writing an article or standing up for five minutes and talking about something, what holds us back is the fear of judgment. We're afraid if we put something out there that somebody's not going to like it, that somebody's going to not like us, that somebody's going to say, we well, shouldn't said this or, or something like that. And so as a result, we avoid ever getting out there. And so what part of the reason that I posted that, other than just being feeling like I was uh, in a whiny mood that day and really taking it to heart, was that I want other people to realize that nobody's immune to this. We're all, if you know, anytime you put yourself out there, whether it's one tweet and you have two followers, one of those two followers can decide they don't like what you say. And so part of this you know, engaged world that we live in is that we have to be willing to accept that risk and to be passionate enough about whatever it is we're saying that we're willing to take those spears and arrows or whatever gets cast at us and overcome them. But we still have to realize that we are human, that we still don't want people to not like us. <laughs> and we have to be willing to, to do it anyway. And, and when you get little. to that point, yeah. 
it, it, it makes a difference. And so, yeah. So, but the, the bad thing about webinars is that you have that little chat box sitting there and you see stuff pop up and this guy popped up three things in a row and they were all attack kind of stuff. And, and it was just in, in the middle of your, you know, spiel that you have, it sort of just throws off your rhythm but I was able to recoup enough. But then when I got off, I just obsessed about it for the, the rest of the day. And by writing it out, it cleared it out of my mind. And then I was amazed at how many people came in and uh, and commented. Yeah, it's it's sort of a, uh, on webinars, it's sort of a double-edged sword to have that chat open. Sometimes yeah. it's better just to keep it closed and do your thing and, and not worry. But then yeah. what's great is if you can build some sort of back and forth rapport with people on on the webinar, that's great. So yeah. you have to take that risk in order to get that reward. You know, I, I will admit I've done, I don't know, dozens, hundreds of webinars at this point, and I still get nervous before all of them. Oh, yeah. I'm nervous before everything. I mean, podcast doesn't matter. You're still, you want to present well, and you want to say something that matters to people. And I think if you're not nervous, you just don't care that much. So I think it's, a, it's, it's not a bad thing. What you have to learn, though, with practice and 18 years of doing it is I can survive the fear. And I can also survive the bomb on stage. If, if in the event I get up there and nobody likes it, I can still survive that too, because of course I've done that as well. So you get, um, you get more comfortable with the fear. It's the best advice I can give to somebody who wants to do it. Do you ever get over it? I don't. I, I can't eat anything before I speak. I'm always in the back going, oh my God, how can I escape? I am an idiot for doing this. What am I, what was I thinking? And then as soon as I get on stage, I don't know what happens, but I, it just goes away. As soon as I start and as soon as I feel the connection with the audience, I am immediately put at ease. It, it's a very strange thing for me. And then once that happens, it, it kind of comes and then I can let go of that, you know, clenching that's going on in my brain and let my thoughts form and flow. So it works like that. Do you think some of your public speaking, uh, changed how you interact with you when you're advising your clients and you're or even having value conversations with your clients like has it, has it affected those conversations positively negatively um do you just have more confidence when you have those conversations those advising conversations or do you think there's no impact you mean in terms of having the skills to do public speaking or the fact that i'm out there and that people know me which which i, I think more having the skills right like how, yeah. how does that trickle down into your client interactions I think communication confidence impacts every single area of your life. In fact, when I was at Deloitte, so I started at Deloitte right out of college in tax. And I will never forget the review that I had at Deloitte where they, he, the partner pulled out a list of all this, you know, one of those pre-printed forms with all the things you're supposed to do well on. And I had gotten an F in every single grade. And he said, all of this is because of your poor communication skills. And he said it influences every single aspect of the work that you do, which I think is so ironic today. But um, I had so little confidence in my own abilities. And part of that was because every time I would do something as a CPA, I would get a list back of everything that I'd screwed up, right? We get review notes all day long. You're getting this is wrong. That's bad. That's wrong. That's upside down. You put that left out that comma. You know, the double underlines aren't done the right way, whatever. So when you start out and all the feedback you get is negative, your confidence starts to drop and you start coming into the room with a kind of, I'm here, but I'm afraid you're going to yell at me voice. But you also don't want to call clients because you're not sure that you know anything. And so this whole confidence communication thing does impact every single thing that we do. So, yes, when I'm confident that I can communicate clearly and then I can get my points across in a way that I think will resonate with people, it affects every aspect of the work that I do. And I think it's true for everybody. That's a great point about public accounting and the culture of public accounting not 
really helping people become good public speakers. Um, I was at a conference yesterday or the day before, and uh, Jody Paydar was talking about how when she got her first job in public as a staff accountant, she wasn't allowed to talk to anyone for three years. That's true. I, That's the way it works. So how are you supposed to, <laughs> as an accountant, build public speaking skills, even just one-on-one -on -one client interaction skills, if they, you can't talk to the client? It's ridiculous. It's it's a, that's what's part of what's wrong with the profession and and the education that we get. Nobody teaches us how to communicate. They don't even yeah. we don't even talk about writing skills. I don't even think they do business writing in most accounting programs. I don't think anybody writes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we can use uh, you know voice recording. We don't have to write, but still, yeah. But I mean, it's crazy. We just send an emoji. Yeah, we <laughs> that's right. <laughs> a calculator emoji or an abacus. That's all we need. <laughs> it's a missing skill, and I think it's a real shame. And it's true. Yeah, we don't let. You don't let staff people because you don't trust them to communicate. How how awful is that? Yeah, and then suddenly they become a, a senior or a manager, and they're supposed to go out and talk to clients and sell, but they've got no training doing it. Yeah, they're supposed to become the the world's best networker, yeah. the world's best salesperson, and keep track of all the technical stuff at the same time. And and they have no basis for any of those skills. And and then they go, they make manager, and they follow that traditional career path, and they get into industry, right? They move over to be controllers or VP finance or whatever. And they've got the technical skills, but they've got no experience communicating with the other C-suite people, right? That's right. So how do you tell the story about the business in numbers if you can't talk them through it? They're not going to read the financials. Well, you know, that's kind of that that's the passion that drove me to start speaking. This this desire to have the profession communicate what we do in a way that we get the recognition we're due. I mean, I think I I feel bad for the really good technical people who aren't recognized because they're so lousy at the communication part. Mm -hmm. And that's really what drove me to to get good at communicating because I because having been in a firm, having made it a partner, um, and, and realizing how good these folks were and the valuable work they were doing, but they were doing it in a closet and nobody knew what was going on. Nobody mm -hmm. saw the value of what they did. And whereas I was out there speaking and not really knowing what, was, what I was doing all that much, but I was sitting down with these clients working on their technology. So I was able to form these really deep relationships with people because they could see what we were doing when you're sitting at their desk and, and you know, reconnecting the payroll or, or changing some inventory problem that they have. And so I wanted to help elevate those other folks and also help them see that there's a lot more out there than what they're currently doing if they're sitting in the back office um, doing something transactional or compliance focused. Jeannie, I think that's about all the time we've got today. Thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners, and I'm sure they will, want to follow up and find out more about what you're up to, uh, where can they connect with you online? Where should they go to learn more about Jeannie Whitehouse? multiple options, but I would say go to um, evenanerd.com. That's my website. I'm also working with mentorplus.com. That's an organization that teaches accountants how to provide consulting services. So either of those are great places to find me. And David, if folks want to ask to be a guest on the show, send us an article, where should they reach you? The easiest is going to be on Twitter. I'm at David Leary. Same for me. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. David, Jeannie, thanks for chatting. And David, I'll see you again next week. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right. So here's my story from wine country. So remember, I'm a redneck from South Carolina. I moved to California from Atlanta. 
I leave. So I actually moved out here with Sage. Sage Software um, hired me to take on one of their products and transferred me from Ella and my family from Atlanta to California. And then I left Sage and I connected with this CPA firm that does wineries. And I'm, it, it was a part-time relationship and I've been doing it ever since. So I start out with them and in order to get some context, because here I am with no wine knowledge or experience or anything, and I'm going, okay, I got to get really smart on wine. So I reached out to some friends of mine that had some winery connections and actually ended up going to this little bitty winery and helping them harvest grapes from their little bitty vineyard. And so my husband and I went out there and I kept telling him, don't embarrass me. Do not hurt yourself or do anything untoward in this vineyard because this is my first experience. I want to get it right. I want to do all this right stuff. So we got in this vineyard and they hand us these like plier scissor things and we have to go trim the grapes off of these vines. And we spend the afternoon picking these things and not five minutes into it, do I not proceed to... um, cut my own finger with the um, little scissor thing. Oh, no. and, and then no. I bend down in the vineyard because the grapes are fairly low on the trellis. I bend down. I can't stand up. My knee goes out and I'm stuck. <laughs> so I'm like crippled <laughs> and bleeding. Vineyard, and my husband, is, who's older than I am, which is why I gave him all this grief, is perfectly fine, had no problem, didn't embarrass us at all. I'm limping and dripping blood into this thing where they feed us all to, you know, thank us for helping them with this little vineyard. But so that was the first story about that was my first experience in wine country. And then we go from there. They take us all the way through their process. They take us to their processing facility where they take the grapes and they put them in these big tanks. And then they have their winemaker come out and talk to us about what we've just done. This winemaker was an accountant in a former life. He went through details and science and used this terminology. And by the time he was finished, I had absolutely no desire to ever drink this stuff again. It was the most, (laughs) it sounded like something that was in a test tube. I mean, it sounded horrible. It was like malactive fermentation and it was just this and that and this, all this stuff in the leaves and all this complete jargon. And I was just sitting there going, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Do not let that guy be in front of people. They're going to buy wine. Well, from that experience, I was able to leverage a connection between the way people talk about wine and the way we accountants talk about the work that we do. And I use that now every time I speak to wineries. I talk about how y'all use this terminology and it scares us rednecks. And we accountants use terminology like Section 179 and balance sheet and debits and credits. And we do the same thing with to you. We intimidate you with our knowledge, just like you intimidate us with your old highfalutin wine knowledge. And so it's become a great way for me to bridge the understanding gap. But it all started with uh, me hurting my knee and cutting my finger off and then listen to a boring old winery guy, winemaker, talk about wine. Well, that, that happens to me whenever I go outside too. So <laughs> don't feel You bad. hurt yourself. <laughs> that's, why I, that's, why I, that's why I stick to the accounting in the podcast. Yeah, you know. yeah but I mean, my poor yeah. husband, I mean, I kept going, you better not hurt yourself. You better not fall down. You better not do anything. You're not, and then immediately, of course, karma. That's great. Walk around limping and in pain and bleeding. So that, that great, vintage great has, has my blood in it. 